another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety. For just $20 a month, Philo offers consumers more than 60 cable channels. It's a simple value proposition that has helped this venture stand out in a crowded marketplace of so-called virtual MVPDs. And as Philo CEO Andrew McCollum explains, he's not about to make the mistake that has the prices of many of his competitors. Thanks for talking to me, Andrew. Thanks for having me. So I'm curious, how are those numbers looking now in 2020? And what has the pandemic meant in terms of your subscriber base and, and keeping that uh, going? Yeah, I'd love to, to talk about that. Um, we actually just passed 800,000 subscribers recently, so we are trucking along. I think that we've definitely seen a significant surge of growth um, this year around, particularly during March, April, May, June, sort of the shelter-in-place period that was driving a lot of people to spend a lot more time indoors and consuming entertainment services, we definitely benefited from that. I think, you know, as we kind of look ahead, we really start to think about, well, you know, if there's going to be a longer term economic impact from the coronavirus pandemic, is that going to hurt the economy? And how do we, you know, we've always tried to position ourselves as a really low cost, high value service. Um, We really think that we give you a lot for $20, you know, we include 60 channels and, you know, an unlimited DVR and three streams and you can use it on any device. And, you know, I think that in that climate, we think that, you know, we're very well positioned as people are looking to control their budget, um, you know, control the cost of what they're spending on entertainment. Philo is a really good option um, in the mix if you're looking to get a lot of uh, great content at a, at a really fair price. But this virtual MVPD space that you're in, is it's got a lot of players in it. Uh, the good thing is you're one of the cheaper options, but a lot of these players have also really run into a lot of trouble. And I'm curious, what do you think has kept you from running into that trouble as well? Well, I think uh, it's probably fair to say that essentially every other service in this space came to market with an offering that was significantly underpriced relative to uh, a price that would actually make it, you know, a margin positive, functional, long-term business. Um, I think a lot of this can be chalked up to the fact that almost every other company who's launched a service, a virtual cable service, has taken a focus on broadcast and sports, and that content um, brings a much higher cost uh, along with it. And so, delivering those services at a palatable price point was really difficult to do. You know, in the time that we've been launched, you know, our $20 package is the same $20 it was when we launched, except it has a bunch more channels. In that same period of time, you know, YouTube TV has gone from uh, $35 to to $65. Um, And I think that's a reflection of this uh, challenge that they all came into the market with of really under pricing their services, um, whether that was sort of, you know, I mean, the sort of cynical view of that is they're trying to get a bunch of people in the door so they can sort of aggressively raise the price later. Um, You know, the more favorable interpretation is, you know, that's just the price they thought they had to offer it at. But either way, I think that trying to kind of unwind that has been pretty challenging and painful for a lot of the other services in the space. 
we really approached it from a different perspective. You know, we focused on this entertainment lifestyle knowledge category, not just because we felt like it was unique in the market. There weren't other places you could go to get this selection of content uh, without paying a huge price for broadcast and sports. But also we felt like we could bring it to market at a fair price point that we could stand behind and not sort of be forced to raise prices significantly on our customers, on our subscribers in order to actually make the business work. And, and that's why we've been able to maintain, you know, basically the same pricing um, since we launched. Uh, and we feel like that's put us in a great position to continue growing quickly and offering something um, that's really honest and fair to consumers. And, and that's resonated. Well, are you going to be able to hold at that price point? It seems that the pitfall so many of your competitors have run into is they try to add more channels, their costs go up. So are, are you going to stick to $20 no matter what, or is it inevitable your price goes up as you seek to add more channels? Yeah, I mean, there's two factors that really drive price. Um, one, as you mentioned, is adding additional content to the package. Um, I'd say that we feel pretty good about the package of content we offer now. There's definitely things we intend to add, but we don't currently anticipate adding big categories of channels that will drive cost in our current base package. The things that we'll add are more in the category of, um, you know, uh, ad-supported content, uh, you know, uh, premium add-ons, uh, SVOD offerings, et cetera, that are either a la carte offerings to consumers or don't drive additional programming cost in, in the base package. Um, but the other cause of price increases are the annual increases in costs that are built into programming contracts. Um, you know, I think, you know, the average programming contract includes an annual increase in the cost of the content, you know, say roughly five to 8% a year. Um, you know, just to put that in context, you know, that's higher than the annual increase in the cost of housing, healthcare, and higher education, which are normally cited as the three most egregious increasing cost, you know, parts of the economy, um, television programming cleans the floor with all of them. Um, so look, we're not um, impervious to rising costs. Our programming deals have annual increases built into them. So I can't uh, sit here and guarantee that our price will never go up. But I do think that we have put much more emphasis on, uh, you know, keeping the price low, not just through the choices we made around programming, but also we operate the company very leanly. Our company is 85 people, and I'm pretty sure, you know, that any other streaming company is probably, uh, you know, multiples of that, if not orders of magnitude that size. Um, some of these other companies probably employ as many lawyers as we have employees. Um, we also build all of the technology ourselves, and that helps us to keep the cost down because we can reduce our infrastructure and overhead cost uh, really significantly because we've created basically all the tech we use. Um, in-house. So I think that um, while we, you know, I, I, I can't say that the price of Philo will never go up. We definitely put a lot, lot, a lot of effort into trying to keep it as low as we can and, 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 not, and not raise the price. You've done that in part because, as you've mentioned, uh, no broadcast, no sports. Uh, you're also missing some of the top news names. So, uh, you know, those are some pretty big gaps. I would imagine there's going to be a big chunk of the marketplace that's not going to go for your product because that's missing. So who really, who is your customer base? Who out there doesn't want these kind of things? Maybe it's a bigger market than some might realize. 
Yeah, I mean, around the time we launched, um, several outside independent analysts, without any involvement by us, um, studied this idea of an entertainment-driven package, and most of them pegged the number of uh, U.S. households that were interested in this type of package somewhere in the 15 to 20 million uh, households range. So we're obviously nowhere close to that. We think there's a lot of room to grow and, and to, to become quite a significant uh, size service just with the category of content we have. But I actually think that it's a bit of a mistake to peg Philo's market as simply those subscribers because there's a lot of other ways to get value out of Philo. For example, a lot of people will combine Philo with other SVOD services like Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu's VOD service, Amazon Prime Instant Video. You can kind of build your own package out of a bunch of these a la carte um, SVOD offerings and Philo and you know still be paying a lot less than you would be for traditional cable. You know, Adding multiple $10 to $20 a month add-ons on top of a $20 a month TV package is a lot more economically viable than adding those same add-ons on top of a $120 a month TV package, which is like, um, you know, what the average DirecTV customer pays, for example. Um, you know, I think that uh, other than that, there's also the opportunity to, to pair Philo with uh, over-the-air broadcast antenna. You know, here in San Francisco, you can get 70 channels over the air. Uh, and so with Philo, you can get 120 channels for 20 bucks a month. It's a really good deal if you're looking to really um, if you're really budget conscious and, and cut your cost. And there's a lot of great, you know, a lot of the news and sports content you can get for free over the air. So that's a great option for people. I think that also I'd say that, you know, we don't have any um, inherent bias against broadcast and sports. We would love to offer those networks if we can do it in a way that preserves the kind of choice and flexibility we think that customers demand. Uh, and I think that I'm hopeful that we'll get there eventually, but you know, I think that, uh, uh today we haven't been able to make, make it work. Well, certainly given the, the state of the economy in this country right now, something as budget conscious as what Philo is doing, I think is going to resonate. But on that same point, up until very recently, you guys were the cheapest option, Along comes T-Mobile, uh, which very recently launched a $10, 30-something channel offering. What do you think about you know the possibility that we could see uh, others come in and, and undercut you? Is there some, some area there to play that you guys might not have anticipated could be coming to market? Well, look, we've never really defined our service as being the lowest cost TV service. Um, you know, I think that we want to be a, a good value to people. We want to deliver, you know, a great, uh, a, a lot of content and functionality for the price you're paying. And we think we do that today with the price uh, that we're at. But, you know, we're not really focused on being the cheapest. We really want to be a, a great service for the price you pay, no matter what that price is. Um, you know, I think that the offering from T-Mobile is really interesting. You know, this idea of splitting broadcast and sports, just getting to the point I was just mentioning, makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, I think it's really uh, that is the direction that the TV bundle needs to move in, in our opinion. Um, if we were going to offer broadcast and sports, I think we would really seek to do it as a separate package. So that part's really smart and hats off to them for for doing it. Now, they seem to be in a bit of hot water with their programmer and partners. So um, maybe the approach they took wasn't quite um, uh, calculated just <laughs> exactly right. But um, in spirit, I think that um, 
the, the concept makes sense. You know, I think that comparing the prices directly isn't exactly fair. They don't include DVR for $10. So you're, and you're paying an extra $5 for that. And it's not an unlimited DVR. It's only 100 hours. And, you know, like, uh, also, you only get two streams instead of three. So and it's not available on Roku. And so and it's only available to T-Mobile postpaid customers. So there's a lot of caveats to get to the, you know, to the price that they launched at. Um, and so, like, I think that we still feel really good about where we are in the market. And, you know, maybe someone will come along and, and undercut us on price. And I think that um, we really try to focus not on what other people are doing, but on what we're doing and just try to deliver the best service we can and, you know, kind of let that speak for itself. Well, but you can't ignore the competition. And I'm curious whether, you know, some describe it, I guess, as a different product set, but these free ad supported streaming services like Pluto, there's a number of them out there. Do you see them as competitors? Because, of course, what they're providing is absolutely free. Yeah, not really. There's a lot of people who uh, that's another uh, point, actually. A lot of people combine those free ad supported uh, services with Philo and are very happy to, to use both. Um, you know, I think ultimately um, they're much more synergistic than they are competitive. Um, as I mentioned, we are looking to bring more of that content within Philo. It would be great to offer it within the same app and experience. And I think that um, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, ultimately, uh, you know, the free content is great. I, I'm a big fan of that strategy and think that it, again, it makes a ton of sense. Um, but you know, there's a lot of, uh, it, you just aren't going to be able to offer the full range of content at free. It's just not a price point that works for the economics of television to, to have everything be available for there at, at that price. So I think that there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want, you know, more premium, uh, offerings and, and so it, it would be great to pair those things together to say, look, we've got a selection of the ad supported content for people who want that. We also have options, uh, you know, at really fair prices above that for those who, who want to um, add more premium content. And you can get one or the other. You can start one place, go to the, you know, uh, you can start it free and go to paid. You can start a paid and go to free if, if you feel like it and really just uh, give people a lot of ability to kind of pick what makes sense for them. You guys recently announced a partnership with Best Buy where uh, customers who buy uh, various streaming products that come to that retailer will get, uh, I think it's one month free of Philo. How important are those kind of partnerships uh, when you're trying to crack this marketplace? In the long term, I think they're very important. Um, I don't think it's been a huge driver of adoption of our service or, or other services to date. But I think in the long term, um, I'm very optimistic about those kinds of partnerships because I think that this still the single largest barrier to people adopting streaming TV like services like Philo is just the complexity of it. I mean, I think that those of us who are in this space, you know, day in day out. Uh, it seems very straightforward. We're like, oh, well, you just like get a Roku and then you go on the channel store and you get the Philo app and you sign up and you're off to the races. But for, I think, the average you know consumer out there, they're like, well, 
which thing do I get? Do I get a Roku or a Fire TV or a, or a Google TV? But I thought that was Chromecast, and how is it different now? And or or maybe I get an Apple TV, and what's the diff? Like, why is one two hundred dollars and one thirty dollars, and what's the difference? Or maybe my TV already does it. I thought I got a smart TV three years ago, so you know what does that mean? And and then they're like, okay, well I want to replace these channels, but which services do I need? I I want the entertainment networks from Philo but I want the sports networks from someone else, um, you know, but also I want, you know, uh, Peacock and HBO Max, but that's not available on my, uh, you know, it's very confusing to people, <laughs> you know, and, you know, for all the things you can say about traditional cable that are bad, and there are many, uh, there's a lot that's bad about traditional cable. The one part of it that's really great is, you know, you, you, it's a pain to call them on the phone and, and schedule like an eight hour block when they're going to come to your house but when that cable installer comes, they set everything up, they put the box in your TV, they connect all the wires, they put the batteries in the remote, they test it all out, and when they leave, you pick up the remote, you press the power button, and your TV comes on, and it's playing, and it works. Um, and that is like actually an amazingly underrated experience that, you know, as a consumer, it's literally, you know, brainless to, to get it to get it working. And we do not have that right now in streaming TV. That, I believe, is the single biggest barrier to people adopting these services. So if we can build these kinds of relationships with retailers like Best Buy who have, you know, they have tech support, they have, it, they have installers, they have, uh, you know, salespeople in the store who can explain the options and how it works and help you get set up, you know, that is a huge win over time because we can basically recreate the ease of the cable installer, uh, you know, in, in the streaming space. And I, I believe that in the long term, that will be absolutely vital. Was curious, is international on the Philo roadmap? Could we see you guys in, in Europe or, or elsewhere? Do you see much uh, products of your type uh, out in these markets that you're not in yet? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, a lot of the other every TV market is sort of unique and has its own dynamics that you need to understand. I think we we have uh, we're obviously most focused on the U.S. and think that there's a lot of room to grow here. We have looked at launching in some international markets, and I think that um, it's more likely than not that we will uh, go in that direction uh, in the relatively near future. You know, I think that the way TV content is licensed, you know, it's quite smart that Netflix has been able to build this international library of content, whereas most of the traditional TV content tends to be licensed out market by market in a very piecemeal fashion that makes it actually much more challenging to um, grow services internationally. You know, like um, even if you look across the border from like the U.S. to Canada, there's a lot of TV networks that have the exact same name, but totally different content lineup, totally different content strategy and approach. Um, and that makes it really challenging to build a globalized service because we would love to have the brands and channels that are on Philo be available everywhere and have it be consistent and, and have it have the same meaning to, to, to consumers, but it doesn't. Um, so I think that's a challenge. I think that we'll overcome that, um, but it does make the international growth piece uh, much more, much more challenging. And, you know, I think that, um, definitely like the economics of each different market are, are, you know, are, are something to be considered as well. You know, Philo of course is, is very reliant on, uh, all these U S cable brands that 
in their day were, you know, had the very best programming out there. You fast forward to 2020, though, and it seems like a lot of the content companies behind those uh, networks are putting more and more energy into their streaming services, content that you're not necessarily going to get your hands on. Is that a concern for you in the long term? I think it's some concern, uh, but the, the I think there's different approaches in this space. There are some that are taking an approach where they want to make it much more complementary to the uh, content that's available on traditional TV. You know, for example, um, Disney obviously took that approach with Disney Plus and, and ESPN Plus. I think there's a lot in terms of what AMC is doing that's very similar to that, where it's sort of a premium upgrade to what you get on the traditional um, TV service. Uh, that's great from our perspective. It's another, we, we would love to offer those things through Philo and uh, give people more options. I, I think that there is definitely um, an emphasis that Wall Street is placing on the success of these services that's causing companies to really feel like they need to go out and try to make them successful to kind of buoy their stock price. Um, I'm not sure that necessarily translates to what makes the most sense in the long term. And so, you know, ultimately, I'm not I, I feel like the model that a lot are, are pursuing today um, will change. And so um, for that reason, I wouldn't say we're like overly concerned about it. Um, you know, the traditional ecosystem provides a lot of value uh, and makes a lot of sense on a bunch of different economic and uh, user experience dimensions. And so I think that ultimately um, you'll end up with a, a, something that's more of a blend that's in between, again, like perhaps like the main channels are on Philo and then you can sort of get the, uh, you can add on to that and get a deeper experience through kind of upgrading to one of these plus, uh, you know, offerings as well. Um, but we'll see, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it all, all plays out. One last question, 2021, what will this new year mean for Philo? Is this going to be a, a, a big year for you guys? Yeah, I mean, every year we try to make a big year. Uh, we're a you know, fast-growing startup, so we uh, are always trying to kind of move as quickly as we can. I do think that kind of that one way, the one thing that I'm quite excited about is that it, you can kind of, I think, I think you'll be able to look back into, and divide the history of Philo into, into two, two phases. The first phase was just to build what you got from cable, but sort of with superpowers. So, you know, it's the channels that you got before, but you can watch them on any device and you can start anything over from the beginning and you have an unlimited TVR and you can watch, you know, multiple streams and it's search and discovery is much better. You know, and, you know, all of these things that uh, are similar to what cable did, but you can do it better with Philo and, and cheaper. Um I think phase two is really to start to say, look, we need to reinvent what TV is. You know, the, the idea of TV, what like a TV channel is now, hasn't changed in, since it was first, like the first broadcast channel was broadcast in whatever, 1930s, whatever. You know, it's still a 24-7 network on a schedule, which makes sense when you have literally a broadcast tower on the top of the tallest hill around sending out the signal to everyone who's getting it in real time. But in the age of the internet, there's really no reason why it needs to work that way technologically and certainly not from a product perspective. So I think there's a lot of things we can do now to really reinvent the TV experience, to make it more dynamic, to make it more personalized, to make it more social, to make it more connected. And, and a lot of that stuff, we are just getting to launching the product you know, now and in the near future. And I think that that will start to make television on Philo look completely different than what it looked like on traditional cable. 
And I'm very excited about that because I think that's the ultimate promise of moving to streaming as a technological platform. And we, it's not, it hasn't really happened yet. So I think that that will, that's really exciting. And it will start to really change how we all think of television. Well, looking forward to seeing how that future takes shape. Thanks for your time today, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Yeah.